0: this morning's reading comes from 1 samuel 16 verses 1 to 13. in the previous chapters we saw rise and fall of the first king of israel saul despite his initial promise saul's disobedience to god's commands marked a turning point prompting god to provide a leader after his own heart this search brings us to chapter 16 where the narrative takes a dramatic turn samuel grieving saul's rejection is sent to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. This chapter not only signifies a shift from Saul to David, but also highlights a critical moment in Israel's journey, a move from human expectation to divine appointment. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sacrificed Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Can I uh, add my welcome to Seamus's if you're visiting today or if you're watching online it's great to have you with us also maybe add my thanks to Seamus uh, for everyone who um has taken part in serving uh, the church family this morning as i say maybe if you're visiting if you're new around here uh, or if you're if you're watching online you maybe listen to that reading and you're thinking what a strange thing to do i suppose it's 2024 so maybe one thing to read the bible uh, but to read this piece of the bible that's about a a king being anointed, some random shepherd boy, that seems quite disconnected from where I'm at in Aberdeen in 2024. Maybe you came, maybe you're watching because you're like, I I need to get a bit of my life fixed. Uh, I've got some problems, and you think coming to church will fix that. And well, of course it may. But our conviction, really strong conviction, is that the Bible, the Bible does the work of God through his spirit Uh, all things that were written in the past uh, the the Apostle Paul who who writes a lot of the New Testament he he writes to the church at Rome these things were written for our instruction for now Um, the immediate impact on that day was obvious but now after thousands of years have elapsed our conviction remains that when God's word is proclaimed God's voice is heard. So it's not just a talk. Um, Beyond the voice of me, it's possible that we might be summoned by God. We might hear from God, not simply just processing the information. Well, I understand that part, but I didn't understand that part. But rather, we actually have a divine encounter with the living God this morning through the word of God by the power of his spirit that's our prayer that's our longing that's our expectation for what happens when someone gets up to preach let me pray for us that that might happen Lord God we do thank you uh, that this word has been preserved that it is for our instruction uh, now And so, Lord, we pray that we would have this divine encounter with you, uh, that you would open our eyes, that you would soften our hearts. You might need to strengthen our hearts where we feel weak and wobbly. um, But it is our longing. It is our expectation that we would be transformed by your word this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. Now, we know uh, from previous weeks That the people's choice of a king, uh, motivated by their desire to be like the nations around them, so they saw what people around them were doing, they made choices that was based on what other people were doing around them, we've learned that that was actually a rejection of God as their king. Samuel was responding to uh, the initiative on their part of the people, and he took it personally when they didn't want the king and feeling that their request for a king was because they had decided that he was too old and too decrepit and uh, he definitely would have been considered old by Seamus, uh, but not he was no longer good uh, and he was sufficient uh, insufficient efficient then as a leader but God said remember he said to Samuel he said it's not you that they're rejecting Samuel it's me that they're rejecting when people make decisions that turn away from what God's doing it's not about the people around you it's not the church it's God that they are rejecting and so we have this strange paradox prior to our passage in their desire for a king they are actually rejecting the one who is king and they, they get this king and they discover that they, that they have a king who, who disobeys God. And actually, the king who disobeys God offers very little hope for the people under his rule. What possible chance is there for people who have a, a king who disobeys God? So who is the real king? And so we discover that God says, well, nah, well now for myself, I have chosen a king. And our passage today teaches us to see as God sees. And it starts with the Lord's lens in leadership. Look at the first five verses. Verses one to five, the Lord's lens in leadership. You see, despite Saul's promising beginnings, his stature, his handsome appearance, he he floundered and and he failed and he was ultimately rejected. And in chapter 15, if you just slide your finger back up the page, or maybe you need to turn back a bit, but you'll see in verse 26, Samuel's response to Saul's request for companionship. He says, I won't return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. That graphic interchange that then follows with the tearing of Saul's robe, and and, and Samuel immediately uses the metaphor, look at 15, 28 he says the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you and so this little pointer sends us forward as a reader making us think or it should make us think if we're slightly switched on well who's that replacement going to be then so the chapter ends uh, as Andy took us through last week with Samuel grieving over Saul and we read in the final verse uh, of 15 and, and and since originally there would have been no chapter breaks so that big number 16 wouldn't have norm wouldn't have originally been there it would have just flowed right through so it's no surprise then that 16:1, which is where we start today is still about samuel's grief and and so god's question to samuel is a fair one he doesn't ask samuel he doesn't say why are you grieving over saul god understands this but he says How long are you going to grieve over Saul? We we often respond to circumstances in light of how they affect us, don't they? Our own psychology, our own personality, our own physical being means that we know what the the writer to the Ecclesiastes means when he says that there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. And what it becomes clear here is that Samuel's not a a distant prophet that is... is, uh, sorry, so he's not a prophet that's distant from all that's unfolded. He is the one who brings the word of God uh, to bear on all these people and their lives. But actually, he's not removed from the effect of that and, and, and them their, the events themselves. He knows that God has done great things for the people. And so it grieves him to see them as they are. Remember, he said, I will not sin by ceasing to pray for you. And this is part of the, the this is part of the responsibility of being a shepherd of the people he's cared for them he's prayed for them and now he sees the suffering amongst them all on the account of saul's disobedience and it grieves him saul's failure is an occasion for sadness for him and as i say that the role of the shepherd is a grieving one Because it means, if it means anything for us as a church family to be united in heart, united in mind, united in purpose, then it has to mean something when those who we love and who we've had affection for, well, when they stumble and when they fall. And so surely Samuel had an affection for Saul. If he didn't, why would he grieve? So he's he's consumed for this, He's consumed with the glory of God and therefore when God's glory was tarnished, Samuel is grieved. If he didn't genuinely care about God and God's name and God's witness and the glory of God, if he only cared about his own glory, then there'd be no reason for his grief. Samuel loved the people under his care and therefore he grieved on account of their suffering. I wonder too whether we would have to say that, that given, given he had invested a, a greater part of his life in this venture, grief might have been born a little bit out of self-pity. Whether he, you know, he went to bed that night and he thought, I can't believe this. I'm, I'm complicit in this whole thing. It was God asked me to do it. I only did it because he said, he told me about the guy and the guy's a disaster, Lord. And he cried. And I thought, and and it really challenged me this week to think about what makes me grieve. What makes me smile? I think this is a real indication of where we are spiritually in terms of our own spiritual progress. When we learn to smile at things that that should actually make us sad, when when we fail to grieve over the things that do make it sad, I think it reveals where we're at really with the lord in terms of obedience things that should make us sad we think they're funny things that should make us uh, things that um and actually then we fail to grieve if you're in leadership in any capacity whether it's in a school in a hospital in a in a business, a factory, on a workbench, on a sports team, whatever it is, not least of all if you're in some capacity of ministry leadership across the church. Leadership brings with it a particular privilege but also the burdens that are largely tied into the people that you lead and that you are responsible for. And that's why the the writer to the Hebrews, when he's closing his letter, he reminds that congregation, make sure you submit to those whom God has entrusted over you as leaders. Do that because they're keeping watch over your souls as people who must give an account. I wonder if you could think in terms of being an encouragement to those that you lead, And if you are being led in ministry in this church, could you be an encouragement to those who are leading you across the church this week? And so Samuel is groaning instead of rejoicing. And when you look at the text, you realize that God's corrective to him is necessary. He says, listen, how long are you gonna grieve? Are you just gonna sit there all day and mope around about this? Don't you realize that I've rejected him from being king over Israel? I am sovereign over this. This is not taking me by surprise so it's time now samuel to forget those things they're behind us and we're going to press on and so he gives him a really clear assignment look on with me he says fill your horn with oil and go i'd love to say that to our ministry apprentice pete barron when he asks if i have I, I got anything that i need him to do fill your horn and get going it'd be quite surreal for him wouldn't it but <laughs> But what a wonderful thing is that when you go on and you read further down in the text, look, verse four, it says, and Samuel did what the Lord commanded. This is what I love about Samuel. You see, as we consider him in these chapters, it's not on the account of his originality, the originality of his ideas, not because he's a particular initiative taker. There's no evidence of that either. But. But the way we see him as someone who just does what he's told. He was told, fill your horn with oil and go and samuel did what the lord commanded how spectacular is that doesn't have to be big uh, most of the commands of god don't involve any great drama there's no uh, uh, and, and then actually when he when he's he's not burdened by what's happened in the past uh, it's not like oh, we tried that before it didn't work out too well or actually lord i'm not really that gifted in uh, the horn of oil filling thing uh, one time It was enough as far as I'm concerned Uh, on the basis of that whole Saul thing. I'm not really sure I'm ready to get back into action, fill my horn with oil and give it a second go. God says, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided or I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So he's going to be sent to Bethlehem. And a Bethlehemite is someone from Bethlehem. Do you understand so like an Aberdonian is someone from Aberdeen a Pfeiffer is someone who is what, blessed <laughs> and so the Lord has seen among the sons of Jesse a king for himself now interestingly the, the verb here uh, the, the Hebrew verb that we see rendered here provided is actually the verb to see Uh, and the verb is repeated seven or eight times through the text all the way through this chapter so we're not going to go into all of them don't worry but it's not always it's not always translated see or looks Uh, here in verse one it's translated as provide down in verse 17 it's translated as provider again but the whole chapter really is about seeing it's about seeing what and how it is that God sees in a way that man that you and I do not so he's been dispatched to Bethlehem down the road about 11 miles, not very far in our, in our terms, but it would have been quite a long time, uh, a long way then. And for those of us who are familiar with the Bible, Bethlehem maybe rings uh, a bell. If you were around in 2019 when we went through uh, Ruth, some of the drama and the beauty of that book, you might know that in chapter one, you've got these two widows ladies they arrive in Bethlehem and the writer tells us that they've came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest and and Ruth meets Boaz they get married and then they and that Jesse that Samuel is to go and meet is Ruth and Boaz's grandson so the one we're looking for is actually Ruth great-grandson. So it's quite exciting. You're starting to see these things aren't just plucked out of obscurity, but actually we're reading through history in a particular area and time. So you fast forward in time, and who would have thought in this tiny little place in the middle of nowhere, the next chapter in God's unfolding plan of his sovereign plan was about to unfold. Now Samuel... At this point, I'm certain at this point, Samuel could never have understood the extent to which his obedience was vital to the ongoing story of God. And that's true for you and I today and tomorrow. Most of us do not understand, or we will not understand, when we obey. Some of us, actually, we're just quite determined people. And so some of us will obey out of sheer commitment to obey and we may live our lives and we never know the act of obedience what that's actually meant in the providence of God whether it was the bystander a family member or someone within our sphere of influence others will have the blessing of being obedient to what God was calling us to do and actually we might see the fruit of that in our lifetime our chairman of the elders, Pete Smith, he talks about spiritual FOMO. He has fear of missing out on what God's doing. And so he just says, why not? Let's just do it. Why not? Let's just do it. Why not? Let's just do it. Because he wants to be obedient to what he thinks God is calling at any time. Um, And his fear is we miss out on actually seeing God work. But back to our story. Samuel Uh, responds he says how can I go if Saul hears it he'll kill me Saul is increasingly unhinged by this time he's capable of doing just about anything and so Samuel says I want to obey but I don't want to get killed which is fair I think we'll allow him that okay but I don't think any of us would judge him on that basis and so the Lord says well listen take a heifer with you and say i have come to sacrifice to the lord and then invite jesse to the sacrifice i'll show you what you'll do i'll show and you shall anoint him for me uh, whom i declare to you so you have it it's quite a straightforward assignment fill the horn with oil okay but i don't want to get killed that's okay i've got that covered take a heifer with you so we're not going to hang around on, on this too much but it's interesting that god is telling samuel not to declare all of what's going to happen. Do you see that? He's not saying don't play all your cards at once. Just tell them what they need to know so we can move on to the next part. And there is a certain degree of concealment in this and it's proper, i think, in certain uh, certain circumstances to conceal some of the truth. It's not telling lies. It's impossible to read this text and remove god from it but you think of missionaries going overseas why are you here we want to tell everyone about jesus because they need to be saved okay sorry the border's closed we're here i'm here to teach and then they draw alongside someone or and and the same could be true in our lives as well when we're actually sent out on mission by god so god is in control god sends samuel Uh, and God tells him he will be with him and he'll tell him uh, what to do now if you remember back even from the the beginnings of Samuel remember he was a little boy in the temple with Eli he wakes in the night Eli's calling him uh, and then it happens a couple of times and finally Eli twigs what's going on he says the next time you hear this speak for your servant is listening and so Samuel's kind of been prepared for this and then Samuel verse 4 in our chapter it says did what the lord commanded and he came to bethlehem the implications i think are clear for us the lord's lens is that even in the face of fear for us the lord provides a way Verse three, the lord tells him what to do says i'll show you what to do all that he requires from samuel is availability and obedience and that was the mark of the people who planted this church 50 years ago and the families that have lived in the church since then and the ministry that's gone on through there similarly when they planted bankery christian fellowship establishing the work of the lighthouse planting of Donside community church and now hope church tory i think if we grasp that pattern of availability and obedience in our daily lives we would begin to see as god sees and now his appearance, you'll see in verse 4, caused the people, the elders of the town, to come out to meet him. They, were, they trembled. And we don't, we're not going to go into all the background to this, but their question is quite straightforward. Do you come peaceably? Again, they're maybe worried about all that's happened with Agag. Previously, the end of that chapter, uh, he'd hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord and Gilgal. So not to put too fine a point on it, they're probably looking around going, I hope he's chilled out a bit since then. He did a dreadful thing under God's command. And so then it says in verse five, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so that's, we see the Lord's lens in leadership. Don't worry, the rest are much shorter. And then in verse six, we see the Lord's look at the heart. When they came, uh, that is when all the sons of Jesse appeared, he looked on Eliab, And he said to himself ha surely this is the lord's anointed it's quite a quick judgment isn't it it's a fast response especially when you think about it last time he was involved in one of these last time a big handsome guy showed up and they made him king it didn't really work out that well so you've got to be thinking hang on samuel are you wise last time the package looked fantastic but when they got to the contents the contents were useless Big, strong, powerful, handsome guy, collapsed like a broken deck chair. So now you're here with your horn of oil, ready to go. The first person shows up and he's like, yes, that's him. I like the shiny one. I like the big one. Uh, and yet something about his, so so, and something about his outward ex- appearance made him go in that direction. And then this is where the Lord needs to adjust his thinking. Look at verse seven. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees them as, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called the next one in the list, and he was rejected. And the third one, he was rejected. And the seven sons, all in all. And then we reach verse ten with Samuel saying, "The Lord did not choose these." Well, what are we to say? Well, appearances are deceptive, aren't they? At one level, that's pretty obvious. Appearances can easily be deceptive. When we meet strangers for the first time, we make deductions based on that meeting, on their dress, on their smell, on their mannerisms, all these sorts of things. And they can often be wrong because they're based on the immediate superficial view. And that's, but but then to be fair, that's basically all we've got to go on because we see with our eyes. I once went for an interview. I turned up a day early. I was 21. Turned up a day early, I'd shaved. Went back the next day, I hadn't shaved. Guy walks into the office and he said, now, this is his opening gambit. I don't really buy into this whole, um, the thing about making uh, first impressions, he says, because it takes a while to get to know someone. But my first impression of you is that you've not shaved this morning. And I was, and and it didn't go great from there. (laughs) Um, So that's all you've got to go on. But it does take more uh, to get to see someone. But God, he sees in a different way. God is not deceived by nor impressed by outward appearances. Verse 7 makes that really clear. He sees a person's heart. God sees a person's heart. It was interesting as I was reading about this, I came across something by an Australian guy called John Woodhouse, he's an Australian Old Testament theologian and and, and he pushes this just a little bit further and gives us something I think is quite helpful. The point that God's point of view is according, he's saying that verse 7 goes further than just God looking on your heart. God looks according to his heart. God sees according to his heart. Says that the literal translation of the second half of verse seven is more, the Lord looks according to his heart. So he's not looking to see if anyone meets the qualifications for being put in a position because nobody meets all the qualifications that are necessary for the position. So I thought this was quite helpful because actually, the Lord was looking for a man, chapter 13 told us, the Lord was looking for a man after his own heart, according to his heart. And so rather than a picture of God just seeing beyond what's there, and so I like what's inside and so I'm going to choose that, that's not quite what the gospel is either, is it? I like what's inside, so I'm going to choose that. It's rather a picture of God who has a man in his heart, the man of God's own choosing. I think we find ourselves in trouble quite quickly. If we look at this scene and we go, well, it must have been for these superficial reasons that they were ruled out. And it must be because the fellow who was finally selected, he was special. He was special in some regards, but that wasn't the issue. It wasn't that he was special. It was that God was sovereign. God was choosing. And so this means that God views everything according to his intentions, according to his purposes. If you, if you like, Ephesians 1 tells us that, that God has a purpose from all eternity. From all eternity, everything that has taken place and unfolded in the world ultimately is according to the eternal counsel of God's will. And so when it comes to this matter of setting a new king then the situation unfolds, I think, in in light of that. That Eliab, for all his good looks, he was not the king that God was going to choose according to his heart, not who he intended to make king. He wasn't. And that's why he was set aside. God didn't see Eliab in the same way that Samuel saw Eliab because Samuel saw Eliab with his eyes, thought brilliant, shiny, special but God looked on him from God's heart. And I think it explains what it means in verse one by God providing the king. So his account God's choice, then, is not on account of any particular fondness he has for an individual, individual. not because he has a particular liking to David, a, a liking that he doesn't share for the other brothers, that David's got a particular special quality that makes him attractive to God. What it emphasizes is the fact that God, because he's God, because he's sovereign, he is able to divinely select the one who is to be king So this new king was going to be the one that God had sought according to his own heart. And God leads and guides Samuel that way. I don't know what the brothers would have been making of it. They would have been like, for a brief moment, thinking, oh, I'm about to have a very noble journey in life. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, thank you. You can sit down, you can sit down, you can sit, other five, you can all sit down as well. But they weren't, we must see that they weren't rejected because they were too good looking or they didn't look bad enough. It was because none of them was the one that the Lord had chosen to be for himself. The Lord had seen for himself a king. And so God's choosing love is grounded in who he is. When God chooses someone, it's based on, not the whim that you or I would maybe, oh, I like that, so I'm gonna do this. He chooses on his perfect and sovereign will. Back in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, it says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you or chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and so on. In other words, it was according to God's heart, according to his purpose. And that is why he chose David to be his king. That's how the whole Bible fits together. All of its So he chose Israel to be his people, he chose David to be his king, he chose Jerusalem to be his city, and then it's all fulfilled and represented in the fulfillment of his choosing and unfolding plan in the person of work in Jesus Christ, his chosen servant. Do you ever wonder how all the bits and pieces of the Bible fit together? It's impossible to understand unless you take a step back and you see the big picture of what God's doing. That's why over the years, Jeremy has been so committed to and regularly trying to teach through the big picture of the Bible. It's amazing from the ground of eternity that God was at work in this way. Do you remember when, so so there's a scene where Jesus is on the cross and the people from below say, come down from there if you are the chosen one of God. Nobody looked less like the chosen one of God than a mangled naked body hanging on a cross. How could that ever be the one that God had chosen? So what purpose was that? The purpose was that in him hanging on that cross, he was saving men and women for God's purpose and for God's pleasure. This is immensely helpful for us if you're a Christian. God didn't choose you because you were talented. That's both humbling and a relief. He chose you because he loves you. All that he asks from you now is availability and obedience. That helps us in our witness. We ask him for the desire, the opportunity, the courage. If you're not a Christian today, this is both incredible. It's both an incredible warning and a comfort. Man looks on the outside. Maybe you think he sees great things. Maybe you think they must see terrible things. But God looks according to his heart. He sees you and he sent his son to die for you as a rescuer. Now we've only really got to verse 11, haven't we? So let's lastly, really briefly, look at the Lord's light on the anointed i'm just thinking of the text we we haven't even got to mention of david yet um, but those of you who love a pub quiz or trivial pursuit uh, the first time the name david appears in the bible is verse 13. so if you find yourself in a christmas quiz at home group this year that might just be one of the questions there's your answer Uh, and he says well can i just ask are all your sons here and see maybe with the right inflection you know a voice getting uh, is everyone here uh you get this amazing response well we've got this one guy he keeps sheep but i didn't even really think to have him here to be honest didn't seem to have any point in him being part of this you see he sees with his eyes but god sees according to his heart and so samuel says no i think it's very important that you bring him here in fact we won't wrap things up until he gets here so he's sent he's brought in and we even have a description of him it doesn't say anything about his height. The stature of Eliab, it was there. The stature of Saul, it was there. But there's nothing about his height. But we do have a picture of him. Somewhat ruddy. The appear, let me tell you, he's pretty good looking. It's sort of funny, isn't it? You know, he, he was ruddy, he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise and anointed, anoint him for this is he and then we see just in this last little verse verse 13 and so the anointing takes place the spirit of god comes to empower david and there in bethlehem away from the milieu of life relative obscurity in the company of essentially a select group of people large his own family largely his own family what is taking place although hidden from understanding to the physical eye What has taken place is an event that although unreported will spread, at that point that it was unreported, it would spread far and wide. And it would force people to say, who, who would have imagined that such an unlikely boy in relative obscurity would have such a role? Until we fast forward a thousand years and still in Bethlehem, micah writes but you bethlehem who are too little to be among the clans of judah even to be included in the growth from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in israel not because of the qualities of david you see but because of the sovereignty of god god provided a king he provided a king in david and ultimately he provided his king in the lord Jesus the challenge to us is to see as God sees we saw in this passage the Lord's lens in leadership the Lord's look on the heart and the Lord's light then on the anointed it's interesting that actually it doesn't say that then David had the skills or that David then used his strength or ingenuity or anything like that, it said that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. His ministry was done only through the Lord working in and through him. May that be true for us this week. May we be available and obedient as we strive to see as the Lord sees, Let's take time uh, to pray just now as we commit our time to him. Father, please help us to see that your purposes from all of eternity are clearly not about us but about you. We want to live under your smile. We want to live in harmony with one another. We want to marvel at your choosing love that that chose us, not because we were top of the class or we stood out in a crowd or because you saw something us that you thought you might use, but you loved us because you loved us. Please help us to see as you see, to be available and to be obedient. May the testimony of our lives be this week that we did as the Lord commanded, not that we might earn favor or glory, but that you might receive glory. That we might be aware and alert and available to all that you are doing that you give us the desire to be a witness for you or create opportunities open doors for us and please give us the courage to speak when we ought to and when we can lord for those of us still not clear as to whether we know you, can trust you, we pray that your spirit would continue to work amongst our hearts to lift that veil of unbelief and to see you as the one in whom we have life and life to the full. In Jesus' name, amen.